Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.31 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 25th of May, 2023. This is episode 734 of Bitcoin, and we got a lot of stuff to push through, so we're going to get right into it with Bitcoin Magazine and Stephen Hay. Going to start out with ordinals, because they exist, and they cause problems. (laughs) So we might as well figure out what's going on with it. Ordinals have proven demand on Bitcoin, but fees will push users to layer two. This is written by Stephen Hay, by the way. The Ordinals controversy is still simmering and seems to be set to flare up again soon. Although Ordinals block space usage has been trending down since March the 23rd, the release of notable collections and a burgeoning mania for BRC20 tokens seems to have reversed that trend. Should competition for block space between ordinals, BRC token, BRC20 tokens, and purely monetary transactions remain high, so will fees. And should fees climb sufficiently high, the ghastly shades of the block size war may rise once more to torment all of Bitkind. <laughs> fees aren't the only flashpoint. While Bitcoin has certainly had its share of negative headlines over the years, the protocol itself has thus far escaped the same level of recrimination. Exchange failures, yeah, drug sales, countless scams. These are all things people did with the tech rather than any intrinsic fault of the tech itself. Not so with, say, Ethereum, where sketchy smart contracts are virtually part of the machine. With ordinals popularizing the integration of Bitcoin's blockchain with all manner of infamous Ethereum innovations such as NFTs, tokens, and perhaps soon smart contracts, reputational risk to the Bitcoin protocol grows. How long until a token is issued directly on Bitcoin, which passes the Howey test and so falls afoul of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission? Further in this regard, ordinals also greatly lower the barrier to introducing illicit or classified content into Bitcoin's blockchain. As for the loss of user funds due to rug pulls, bugs, hacks, and takedowns, all of these boxes have already been ticked under ordinals. Most recently, Ordinals Finance pulled a $1 million rug, albeit on the Ethereum side of the ledger. Just prior to that, Unisat fumbled the launch of its BRC20's marketplace, resulting in costly double spend attacks and a lengthy market halt. Before that, several major marketplaces bowed to legal pressure from Yuga Labs and delisted ape-related collections. Furthermore, all of these hiccups occurred against the background of a bug discovered within Ordinal's all-important indexing system. Finally, and I hate to say this, further problems of this nature are anticipated. Consider that one of the largest marketplaces by users and volume, Ordinal's wallet as well as the significant OrdSwap marketplace, both keep keys in browser local storage. 
According to what I've heard on Discord, which runs contrary to recommended security practices to say the least, I believe the above paragraph summarizes the case against ordinals from the perspective of many Bitcoin maximalists, among whose ranks I myself number, at least until the ordinals purity spiral went helter-skelter. And while these concerns have merit, there's one particular complaint which I believe deserves to go unmentioned, that ordinals are a scam. When willing buyers and willing sellers exchange goods with informational symmetry without any claims made as to future price appreciation, well, that's the definition of honest business. And that's the current situation with ordinals marketplaces. Prove me wrong. In defense of ordinals, a point in favor of ordinals is that it's possible to prune their content from stored blockchain data. Pruning resolves the blockchain file size bloat issue, which is fairly trivial considering that I expect the bloat to be easily outpaced by the growth of affordable data storage. More importantly, pruning ensures that anyone running a full node can opt out of storing any illegal material, which, to be fair, existed on Bitcoin's blockchain long before ordinals did. In regards to the reputational and legislative risks to Bitcoin arising from Ordinal's content stored on the blockchain, these can be mitigated but not eliminated by proper communication. The point must be hammered home, and not just for the sake of Ordinal's, that Bitcoin's uncensorable and permissionless structure has certain unavoidable drawbacks which on balance vastly outweigh, are vastly outweighed by its advantages on the technical front. It's possible that post-traumatic stress from the block size war is leading some to view ordinals as a big blocker style assault on Bitcoin's base layer, but as an entirely optional layer too, ordinals have far more in common with the Lightning Network than with Bcash and its ilk. Granted, content insertion into witness data is also occurring, but that process is moderated by fees. Fees? Lightning? Let's not jump ahead to the resolution of the ordinals controversy. As for the loss of user funds to cyber bandits or technical gremlins, such losses are likely to remain limited due to the relatively small size of the Ordinal's economy. As the estimated total value of all Ordinal's collections at the time of this writing is currently around 1,628 BTC worth some $45 million, nothing approaching the scale of the infamous fiascos that have plagued crypto is even possible at this stage. So much for playing defense. The fact is that ordinals are attracting new users, developers, artists, and companies to the Bitcoin space. This will surely have multiple benefits beyond the immediate boost to the value and prestige of the entire ecosystem. Onboarding more users of all kinds is the surest path to accelerating hyper-Bitcoinization. And if Bitcoin succeeds, the world will be liberated from the death grip of central banking. But let's put our Ruby Quartz visor back on and refocus. While most early Bitcoiners got on board due to technical curiosity or ideological motivation, later adoption waves were likely driven by economic factors. Many of these later entrants stuck around because they realized Bitcoin is a revolution disguised as a get-rich-quick scheme. While we await the next bull cycle, ordinals are attracting a fresh set of users composed largely of young creatives. Should we really turn these hopefuls away to wander into the shitcoin swamps? Solution. Ordinals have proven the strong demand for Bitcoin NFTs, tokens, and smart contracts. Although such things have been tried on Bitcoin in the past through whatever confluence of factors, 
the time is now demonstrably ripe for them. A quick glance at inscription count over time, currently over 5 million, uh, after about five months, is enough to confirm this. The associated impact on fees have been equally obvious. Note that the two previous spikes in fees around the starts of 2018 and 2021 coincided with the resolution of massive bull markets. From January of this year, the markets have been fairly calm and the latest spike is attributable to ordinals. This raises the question of how horrifically high fees will get if the current ordinals volume persists into the climax of another bull cycle. In my view, this is the only critical issue presented by ordinals, a looming problem with the potential to outweigh the benefits of the adoption boost. With fees hitting the 600 plus sat per virtual byte nosebleed levels seen late 2017 and early 2018, Bitcoin might lose as many or more users to other chains as it gains from ordinals. The solution to high block fees back in the day was the SegWit soft fork, which greatly reduced the size and fees of (laughs) conforming transactions. SegWit also enabled the launch of the Lightning Network, a layer atop Bitcoin designed to process low value transactions. One quirk of Bitcoin is that its flat fee and data structure, whereby the cost and block space required to send $1 in BTC is equal to those for sending $1 billion in BTC. Offloading low-value transactions to Lightning fee frees up block space, resulting in lower Bitcoin fees. In combination, these two upgrades ensured that when Bitcoin pushed to its all-time high in 2021, fees remained reasonable. So why should the solution to high fees arising from Web3 stuff on Bitcoin be any different? RGB, Tarot, Stacks, these are all technologies to shunt Web3 transactions and data from the Bitcoin blockchain and onto Layer 2, while the approach seen in ordinals and stamps of writing content directly to the base layer offers unrivaled permanence and immutability, it's also extremely costly. For example, an artist I spoke with recently told me that he spends $3,800 to inscribe a collection. Especially in these tough economic times, that's a lot for a young creative to gamble in an unpredictable market. Consider that, as of this writing, 200 of the collections tracked by Ordinal Hub have seen zero all-time volume, as in no sales at all. This figure barely scratches the surface of market failures. Sorting the 1,000 plus collections on best in slot by inverse weekly sales volume reveals hundreds with zero sales see for yourself and a link is given how many low value collections on ordinals wallet have had zero volume zero sales over the last week pending a proper analysis my intuition is that fewer than one in 100 inscriptions listed on the marketplace will turn a profit The novelty of ordinals will fade, but the high cost will remain. Given that layer two solutions don't store data on the blockchain, their creation cost will be orders of magnitude lower. High-end collections like Asprey Bugatti eggs may still inscribe to ordinals as the perceived luxury and maximum permanence option, but the vast majority of creators will opt for the inexpensive alternative still linked to Bitcoin, even if indirectly. Cost isn't the only factor behind the inevitable migration of most users to Layer 2. The size constraints of Bitcoin blocks make bulky content like high-resolution images unaffordable or even impossible to inscribe. 
with generative AI making it easy to create high-resolution image content and soon audio and video content as well, how much longer will the average creator be content to pay a relative fortune to inscribe text and small static images? So base layer to layer two. The way I see things playing out, Ordinals has proven the market demand for Bitcoin-based NFTs, tokens, DeFi, etc., as unpalatable as some may find that demand. Regardless, the cost and relative slowness of these assets on the base layer should eventually drive most users to layer two solutions already nearing completion. The base layer will perhaps become the digital equivalent of the Louvre, housing only the most significant works under the tightest security. Layer two will host everything else. Ordinal antagonists should take note. Twitter screeds denouncing inscribers as attackers for adding monkey JPEGs to the blockchain only incite hilarity and encourage defiance. A $100 or even a $25 inscription fee is far more effective disincentive already established and requiring no keyboard bashing. To defuse the looming threat of high fees, the proactive strategy would be to contribute or donate to the development of Layer 2 solutions. All right, so... <clears throat> Here's the kind of my issue with layer two, like let's say inscriptions and these things somehow or another move to a layer two transaction on Lightning, all right? What happens when you close that channel? Sure, you can inscribe whatever you want, I guess. There's gotta be some kind of size limit um, in, a, in a Lightning transaction, but it doesn't matter. Let's say you could throw a megabyte in there or four or a gigabyte or four. What happens when the channel closes? Do, I mean, does that mean that the channel would have to be open in perpetuity? And then what happens if a bug hits and the channel is force closed through no action of either yourself on one end of the channel or your channel partner on the other end of the channel? Because that happens. Now, we have ARC coming in, which is a different layer two solution. I have not seen a... I don't know, like a workable model of ARC right now, as far as I know, it only exists as an announcement that was made by the guy who's doing ARC, but it is a layer two. It has different features than Lightning. It can interoperate with Lightning, but until we know more about what ARC is doing, could ARC be a way to do these inscriptions on a layer two in perpetuity? Eh, I don't know. I mean, what I've never understood at all is the demand for this type of thing in the first place. I didn't understand it on Ethereum. And it's not that, I mean, I know what it does. I know what a monkey JPEG is supposed to be. But when I lock that in with what I feel that I know about human nature, I don't see it. And I still don't see it, whether it's on Bitcoin, whether it's on Lightning, whether it's on Arc, whether it's on Ethereum, it doesn't really matter. The entire thing makes absolutely no sense to me. However, the warning is fairly clear here. As new people on board, do I automatically tell them that what they think is important is stupid? <laughs> and I'm not even saying this in... in in, even in passing, to try to make you think that I'm trying to onboard more people to, to Bitcoin by using this crap, because that's what I think it is. 
But who am I to say that what I think something is, is what you should think it is. And automatically, I default to what I've been saying for the past couple of shows. The only question I need to hear or be asked or ask somebody else is, is it a valid transaction under the Bitcoin consensus rules? If it is, then we've got to deal with it and we're going to have to deal with it. Germany, however, is dealing with something completely different. Germany has entered into a recession officially. Cointelegraph, Ezra Reguera headline, Germany's recession triggers response from the crypto community. After contracting in the first quarter of, the 20, of 2023, the German economy has officially entered into recession, according to data from the country's statistics office. Members of the crypto community were split on the potential effects of the recession on the crypto economy. While some believe it's bullish signal for crypto, others think it might not have that much desired effect on the space. On Twitter, some were saddened by the news, but believe that the event was still a bullish sign for crypto. And they give a couple of examples of tweets here that say this is bullish for crypto. On Reddit, a community member argued that it's possible interest rates in the country could be brought down to stimulate the economy. When this happens, the Redditor thinks more investment could flow into crypto and trigger a bull market. However, some believe that it might have a negative effect in the short term. A Reddit user believes that in the case of a recession, all speculative markets will lose ground. Despite this, the community member still believes that it could offer a big opportunity for those who perform dollar cost averaging when things look the bleakest. In the long term, one community member believes that there could be a positive outcome. A Reddit user pointed toward the performance of the markets after the COVID-19 pandemic where Bitcoin reached new all-time highs. Meanwhile, in the United States, the probability of further interest rate hikes resulted in bearish sentiment and digital asset outflows of $72 million. On May the 2nd, investment firm CoinShares reported that the crypto market funds had outflows across jurisdictions, including Germany. So the biggest news here is that Germany has officially entered a recession. And this on the backdrop of the United States debt ceiling argument that's going on over there in the big tent or the big top of the clown show that is Washington, D.C. And and now, and we'll get to the story here, here in a minute when we do the market report, um, OPEC rattling their saber. It's like everybody is losing their mind all at once. This all continuously stems from what was done behind the scenes of the COVID pandemic, which leads me to believe that COVID may have just been 100% structured from top to bottom to be the smokescreen behind which all these actors can do these really heinous things with their central banks, money printing, bond manipulation, you name it. And they've brought us here. It's sad, but this is where we're at. Let's not dwell on it, though. Introducing the rolling block method. A new way to forecast Bitcoin mining difficulty. God, I hope this one works better. Bitcoin Magazine Colin Harper is writing, Since Bitcoin's inception, network difficulty has grown from 1 to as much as 48.71 trillion hashes that a miner would theoretically need to generate to find the winning one. 
This means that it is 48.71 trillion times harder to mine a Bitcoin block today than when mining first began in 2009, a compound increase of 20.64% per month. At the time of this writing, Bitcoin's difficulty is at an all-time high, which means that miners on a BTC basis are making less in rewards per unit of hash rate than ever before. Next to Bitcoin's price, Bitcoin's difficulty is a primary factor that influences hash price, so miners are interested. Oh my God, why did that happen? I just lost my, my story. <laughs> so miners are interested in projecting Bitcoin's hash rate growth and difficulty trends for business planning. To this end, miners and Bitcoiners devised the constant block time method for estimating upcoming adjustments, but this method typically over or underestimates difficulty changes at the beginning of each difficulty epoch. To improve on this, the team at Luxor Technologies developed a new method called the rolling block method, which we describe in more detail in a recent report on forecasting Bitcoin mining difficulty and a link is supplied. It's our hope that the rolling block method for forecasting Bitcoin difficulty could provide miners, investors, and hash rate traders a better tool to plan for difficulty changes. This new method improves upon the constant block time method early in the epoch by including block times from the previous 2015 blocks instead of just the blocks from the current epoch, which can skew forecast early in the epoch for lack of data points. To account for the change in network difficulty between epochs, block times in the previous epoch are adjusted by the previous adjustment. And finally, we weight the average block times of the current epoch with the square of the proportion through the epoch. This final step is to diminish the impact of block times with the previous epoch as the current epoch progresses since these values do not actually determine the upcoming adjustment. In the chart below, we can see through confidence in intervals that the new method performed better than the old model at the beginning of the epoch up to block 650, but it performed slightly more poorly thereafter, and of course, they, a graph is given. This forecast, of course, is only for projecting the next difficulty adjustment. What if we wanted to forecast, say, a year into the future? So we now have long-term mining Bitcoin mining difficulty forecasting. Luxor has developed models for long-term difficulty forecasting as well, but these models are obviously more complex since they span a longer time frame. Our model takes the Bitcoin price, transaction fees, and block subsidy as inputs on the demand side, and internal data and ASIC production estimates and operating cost distributions across the industry on the supply side. Using these inputs, the model produces an equilibrium hash rate, difficulty, and hash price for 18 month periods, man. The model structure reflects reality. Hash rate, difficulty, and hash price are endogenous to the system, not exogenous determinants of one another. We can conduct sensitivity analysis with the model across all inputs as well. For example, we can forecast an equilibrium hash rate, difficulty, and hash price across a range of Bitcoin prices. The chart below presents projections from our updated hash rate supply and demand model it provides estimates for flat, bull, and bear Bitcoin price scenarios. Hash rate is an emerging asset class and digital commodity market. Hash rate market participants like Bitcoin miners, hosters, lenders, investors, and traders need access to the rigorous economic analysis and data available in other commodity markets. 
Luxor will be committed to providing this analysis. All right, so that's the real, that's the real meat of this entire article. Hash rate is an emerging asset class. It's also an emerging digital commodity market. Hash rate. We've been talking about Hash rate future prices, hash rate futures uh, as part of the digital commodity market for a couple of years now. Well, when your model goes from a short-term model to a longer-term model, like right now, it's like every two, 200 or 2014, 2015 blocks. That's the, that's the time scale that we're looking at all the time when we're looking at hash rate, hash price, how much is it going to cost to mine? What, what's our capex? All these calculations that go into whether or not you're going to do mining, that's, that's, these are real numbers, but it's such a short time span. If this long-term 18-month model actually proves out to work, well, then that changes everything about mining. Not only does it change everything about whether somebody's going, you know, runs the numbers and says, yes, we can do this or no, we can't do this. That's going to affect the mining landscape secondary and but probably even more impactful in the shorter to medium terms is it will produce a hash rate market unlike anything that we've seen so far. People will be able to buy hash rate futures. They'll be able to short them. They'll be able to long them. I don't like that idea, but they, I got exactly the square root of shit to say about that, right? It's just going to, it's either going to happen or it's not. And it's more likely to happen than it is to not happen. I'll tell you that much. But again, moving on. Ana Paula Pereira has this one from Cointelegraph. Our friend Sam Altman his world coin has secured $115 million for decentralized ID. This guy is not going to stop. Crypto project WorldCoin has reportedly raised $115 million in a Series C round led by Blockchain Capital. Funds will be used to support its decentralized world ID and the recently released crypto wallet World App. Co-founded by OpenAI CEO Sam Altman and built by developers of Tools for Humanity. <laughs> tools to enslave humanity is what they should call it. WorldCoin aims to tackle problems stemming from the growing complexity of artificial intelligence, such as proof of personhood in the digital age. Venture capital firms Andreessen Howitz, <clears throat> Horowitz, Bain Capital Crypto, and Distributed Global are also investors in the round. Of course Andreessen Horowitz is there. Of course they are. They hate humanity as much as they hate Bitcoin. They don't like you. They invest in everything that moves against you. Always remember that. Currently available in beta version, WorldCoin has already onboarded over 2 million poor assholes, according to the company. It is preparing to launch a blockchain protocol and begin recording transactions in the next few weeks. Okay, if they haven't had transactions yet, then how did these people get their WorldCoin? That's a trans. 
See, see what I'm saying? That's why all this is stupid. In early May, the project launched the World App, a gas-free crypto wallet for verified humans that works on Android and iOS operating system. It currently runs on Polygon, enabling users to hold and transfer USD coin, DAI, Ether, WorldCoin, and God forbid, wrapped Bitcoin. Yes, of course, you got to pull that shit into it. By using zero-knowledge proofs, it verifies that the user is human without revealing the underlying data. WorldCoin has partnered with regulated crypto exchanges MoonPay and Ramp to offer on and off ramps within the wallet. Using the wallet, coins can be swamped through a built-in Uniswap integration. The app also enables users to send and receive crypto through their contacts' phone numbers. Oh, God, stay away. Stay as far away from this as you can. If any of these dudes come up to you with a silver orb and starts yammering at you, walk away you don't want to have anything to do with this at all sam altman's one of the most dangerous people on the planet right now and a lot of people don't understand that think about this open ai is sam altman's deal open ai can fake being a person okay well all of a sudden sam altman has got the solution his digital ID using WorldCoin and the WorldCoin infrastructure that he's building. If you don't understand where it is that I'm going, let me give you an analogy. Computer viruses. It's, it is not outside the realm of possibility, and it has been shown, at least in a couple of occasions, that early computer viruses were indeed built by the very people built and released to do damage. And they were built by the very people that offered you the solution. See, this is what the Hegelian dialectic present a problem and then offer the solution. Well, they're taking that, Sam Altman's taking that to a really dark place. I cannot warn you against this enough. And not not only, and if you're like, oh, well, you don't have to explain to me four times in a row. Understand that I'm trying to tell you four or five times in a row so that you will get off your ass and you will tell every single person you know to stay as far away from WorldCoin and Sam Altman as you can. Yeah, we're going to continue to use ChatGPT. Yes, OpenAI is still going to be there. Yes, people are going to use it. But when you combine these two technologies together, the problem, AI, and the solution, digital ID, all provided by the same guy, yeah, you need to go out and warn every single one of your friends to stay as far away from WorldCoin as they possibly can. I expressly am telling this to anybody who's listening to me in any one of the countries on the continent of Africa and anywhere in Latin America, because that's where Sam Altman is concentrating his world coin bullshit. It's you don't want to have anything to do with this. You don't, you don't, you don't. Now, good news. The Power of Lightning Summit to take place July 13th through the 14th in Nashville, Tennessee. This is no bullshit Bitcoin, no BS Bitcoin.com. Confirmed speakers include Jack Mallers, Bobby Shell from Voltage, Andre Neves from ZBD, Alex Leishman from River, Lisa Nigut from Base58, Miles Suter from Cash App, Will Rees from Fold, Thomas Jestifer from Amboss, 
Evan Kalutis from Zeus, and Tony Giorgio from Mutiny Wallet. All access tickets cost $500. The event space is limited to 200 guests. You can register at bitcoinpark.typeform.com forward slash lightning23. Developer-oriented events will take place all week long, including on Monday, July the 10th, Base 58 Day 1 Lightning Course. Tuesday, Base 58 Day 2 Nashville Bit Devs. Wednesday, Base 58 Day 3 plus Lightning Open House. So there's lots of stuff going on at Bitcoin Park, and there's lots of people that are going to be there. I would love to go. And it's not even the ticket price that's holding me back. It's flying across the country. Uh, and even if somebody says, you know what, Dave, I'm just going to pay for your plane ticket. I, I don't, I don't want to get on a plane. I really don't. Flying used to be fun. It used to be an adventure. It used to be something that was just sparked my imagination. And now it's just like prison. It's awful. I, that's the only reason why I, I, I wouldn't go even if you pay, paid my ticket. I'd consider a train ride, a cross-country train ride. I would do that in a heartbeat. But airplanes and airports and baggage claims and all that kind of shit that's associated with flying right now, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. But I do want to have something to do with Start9 Labs because they're introducing Server Lite and 2023 Server 1. This is also no bullshit Bitcoin. Introducing the Server Lite a Raspberry Pi-based device that runs entirely off of a micro SD card, eliminating common power delivery issues and lowering cost. At just $199, the Lite is a low-cost, reliable server that can easily be upgraded later. Start9 has partnered with the Crypto Cloaks people to offer exactly 100 of these limited edition cases for the server light, introducing the 2023 Server 1. Now, this device blows the Raspberry Pi out of the water. It has an 11th gen Intel processor, 16 gigs of RAM, and an NVMe SSD for up to 4 terabytes. It costs about the same as the old Pi-based Server 1, starting at only $499. Our flagship product, the Server Pro, has now a reduced price of to $1,546. The Pro offers unmatched privacy and security guarantees with the open software stack all the way down to firmware, including the neutralization of Intel's management engine. Uh, I have continuously been impressed with the products coming out of Start9. I first heard the uh, the guy who started it, and I, I'm skipping his name right now. It's 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 past it's it's past me. But um, he spoke at Bitblock Boom, uh, the only Bitcoin conference that I have physically attended. Actually, the only conference that I've t- attended at all, whether virtual or or physical. I I just don't go to these things. I I want to. I really do. I just it's just difficult. Okay, so. Um, but that guy, Matt Hill, I believe is his name. Matt, I'm pretty sure it's Matt Hill. That guy's talk, that dude knows how to talk to the public. I mean, he really, he had me charged up talking about not only his products, but the solution that the products offered in today's age. I honestly, at 199 bucks, that's exactly pretty much how much I, how much I paid for my Raspberry Pi 
a case, a two terabyte, terabyte hard drive, and I've got to replace it. And at 199 bucks, which is like essentially the same price, I could upgrade all the way to server level, not just a, a Bitcoin node and a lightning, lightning node. I can have all that plus all the other stuff that Start9 does. And if you haven't read what Start9 does, you might want to go to just Google Start9 with the number nine, all one word, and you'll, you'll find it, I guarantee it. But moving on to liquid swaps by bolts, Lightning liquid atomic swaps are here. No bullshit Bitcoin again. Shifting rebalancing chain footprint to the liquid network. One of Bitcoin's longest running sidechains not only makes sense economically, but it also makes Lightning more reliable and independent from Bitcoin's mempool. These are actual atomic swaps. This means no trust in bolts, B-O-L-T-Z, is required as we never have custody over your funds, not even for a split second. It is deeply rooted in bolts DNA to build the best possible UX non-custodial products. Talking UX, the current swap box interface can merely serve as a proof of concept for rebalancing channels. What we are considering adding next is a liquidity tab that provides an optimized UI to obtain certain inbound outbound liquidity or an entire channel with a configurable amount of inbound liquidity. All right, so liquid swaps can aid your lightning node operations by rebalancing your channels for low fees in a sustained high fee market. Most people don't use liquid. There's maybe 15 people that use liquid. I've never even considered using liquid because I just, I just don't see the, the need. But now I would love to rebalance a bunch of my channels. If this can make it easy, I would use liquid. This is a use case that might actually get liquid lifted up off the ground and, you know, walking around and reaching for stuff, which I'd like to see. But up until now, I haven't had a need to use liquid. And apparently neither is anybody else. But if I can streamline lightning node operations and rebalancing channels with it, in a, with low fees in a high fee environment, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. Let's run the numbers. Energy is in play today because of short selling and a saber rattling by OPEC plus. Let's let's get into the numbers. West Texas Intermediate is down a full three and a half points to $71.71. That's back where it was like a week ago. Brent North Sea is down three and a quarter percent to $75.84. Natural gas is down almost a full 5% to $228 per thousand. Gasoline is down almost a full 3% to $2.64 a gallon. Now, I'm going to pause to read you this before we go into the rest of it. Oil short positions surge ahead of OPEC plus meeting. This is Reuters written by Alex Lawler. The number of short positions in oil essentially betting that prices will fall has risen 
ahead of the next OPEC policy meeting on June the 4th, analysts said, making a surprise decision by producers at those talks even more likely. Short sellers are those who position themselves to profit if oil prices fall, such as by selling borrowed assets in the hope of buying them back more cheaply. So, when an unexpected OPEC plus production cut causes oil to rally, they are faced with a loss. The Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries and top producer Saudi Arabia have long blamed wild oil price swings on speculators, with Saudi Energy Minister Prince Abdulaizi bin Salaman, I can't pronounce his name, promising to inflict pain on them. That's the, that's the thing. The Saudi Energy Minister is promising to inflict pain on the short sellers. That's what's going on here. Analysts at Standard Charter Bank said in a report this week that short speculative positions in crude oil are now as bearish as they were at the start of the pandemic in 2020 when oil demand and prices collapsed. Quote, we think the latest buildup in short positions significantly increases the probability of further production cuts when OPEC plus meets, the analyst said. Ole Hansen, head of commodity strategy at Saxo Bank, said speculators have recently increased their gross short position in U.S. crude and Brent to near the level seen prior to April the 2nd when Saudi Arabia and other OPEC plus members surprised the market with an announcement of output cuts. The move caused Brent crude to rise 6% to almost 85 bucks a barrel when trading resumed after the weekend on April the 3rd, although it fell back in the following weeks as traders focused on concern about demand and economic growth. The minister said on Tuesday, this is the Saudi minister, he said on Tuesday he could inflict more pain on short sellers and told them to watch out just days before the next OPEC plus meeting, which also falls on a weekend when the market will be closed. Hansen said the Saudi minister's comments highlight, quote, the current frustration about the market and the influence of short sellers, which have made a strong comeback during the past month. Following the minister's warning, some short sellers may have second thoughts, Hansen added. Craig Erlem from Broker Onada, Oh, Oanda, sorry. Craig Erlem from Broker Oanda, however, said short sellers might be tempted to maintain their positions and remain short. Quote, the prospect of another ouching moment is seemingly too much to bear. Although, if past experience is anything to go by, traders may be tempted to call his bluff. All right, so is the Saudi energy minister bluffing? Here's what we know. (laughs) Saudi Arabia and OPEC. They, sadly, 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 they call a lot of shots on the world stage because of the world's usage of oil, which isn't going away anytime soon. As we've seen, Germany, they... They tried, and now they're in a recession. Of course, most of a lot of that is actually built based on the fact of other macroeconomic factors, but they would have been hurting anyway. Their energy prices are already through the roof because they stopped using oil and they're trying to do solar and wind and they shut down all their nuclear reactors. I mean, it's just a, it's a mess, right? Oil's not going away anytime soon, right? In the 70s. OPEC decided to open up the pipes. They crashed the price and they literally put 
the the United States oil industry in the tank by a meeting announcement. And here's the thing. <clears throat> These OPEC producers are sitting on a huge amount of oil reservoirs that are still in the ground. If they cut production, you'd think that they're going to make less money and you'd be right. Less money in the short term. But they're sitting on a bunch of cash and they're also sitting on a bunch of oil. I would rather sell less oil at a higher price and keep my oil in the ground than to try to open up the pipes again and produce as much oil as I can, depleting my reservoirs. Because again, oil's not going away anytime soon as far as the world's usage of it. One of these days, maybe. Today, no. Tomorrow, no. Next week, uh uh-uh. Next year, forget about it. 10 years, well, maybe. Who knows? But in the short term to the medium term, oil usage is not going away. I don't know what to expect out of the Saudi and OPEC plus meeting. I really don't. They could keep prices exactly where they are. And in that case, the short sellers are going to have a heyday. They're going to make a shit ton of money. If they do do a cut, then those bears are going to be wiped off the face of the map because it would not surprise me if they said, you know what, we're going to cut 10%. It could happen, but there's other stuff going on. Uh, Metals are pretty much mixed. Gold has lost a a full point. It's down to $1,943. I'm going to go on into ag because there's an interesting development in cnbc.com, futures and commodities. They've added lumber to the agricultural futures uh, part of their webpage. And lumber is down two thirds of a point. Uh, Is that the biggest loser? No, the biggest loser, however, is gonna be coffee, 3.06% to the downside. And the only thing in the green is chocolate, but only by scant, 0.07% to the upside. Got live cattle up 0.08, lean hogs crashed. 4.14% to the downside and feeder cattle is down a quarter. Dow futures down a half. S&P is up a half. NASDAQ for various reasons, which which we'll get into is up two and a third uh, percent. Holy shit. And the S&P mini is down a half a point, but real money is struggling. $26,273.44. That's after 354,000 BTC have exchanged hands in the past 24 hours. Uh, Average transaction value is 0.78 BTC. Median transaction value is rising 0.003 BTC to $78. Nice. Block times are low again, nine minutes and 10 seconds. Half a BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 85.1 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with an almost 5% drop in hash rate. We're back down to 346.6 exahashes per second. Doge is holding at seven United States pennies. So that tells you what the rest of the shitcoin market is doing. Uh, we have a $509.3 billion market cap. That is 3.86% of gold's market cap. There are 19,383,311.96 BTC in circulation and 5,341 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at 140 
$1.3 million. 71,565 payment channels that we can see and 63.2% of all this is being run over Tor. It looks like we have a estimated 1% increase difficulty change coming May the 31st. 2023 mempool as you might imagine is even worse today it looks like we're at oh god 240 blocks carrying 323 unconfirmed transactions are waiting to clear low priority transactions gonna cost you 53 satoshis per v byte high priority is oh only 55 satoshis per v byte so pretty Ah, pretty compressed range there. I am still number nine. Bitcoin and podcast is still number nine. So I'm still in the top 10 on the fountain charts and I've got boost. This one is from a guy I know about, but he's never boosted my show before. Dirty Jersey whore. Dirty Jersey, I appreciate you listening to the show. Um, unless you accidentally boosted no agenda. And by mistake, in which case, let me know and I'll return the Satoshis to you forthwith. However, I'm hoping that this is Dirty Jersey Whore boosting my show because he's always boosting no agenda. And when I got a no agenda listener, it means I'm kind of doing something right. 19,760 Satoshis. DJ, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. He says, boost. That's all. Y'all be good. Nick underscore dose with three, four, five, six says cheers. Uh, Arceris BTC says with 2,718 Satoshis, one twist on the upstream data versus Crusoe lawsuit. Crusoe had already sued one of upstream's customers in Colorado under Crusoe's patents. That lawsuit is specifically mentioned in the upstream lawsuit. So this looks like it could be a defensive move by upstream to protect themselves and their customers. Still, we'll have to watch upstream closely and make sure that they're playing fair. I hope that that's what it is. But I really wish this would just go away. We don't need Bitcoin mining companies suing other Bitcoin mining companies in this environment. This is the worst environment to do that in. You want to play that kind of legacy bullshit game? Please do it when you've got, you're in the middle or ramping up into a bull market. When everybody's happy and they don't give a shit what you're doing. When everybody's not, you know, we're running out of mental energy. You know, we're, we're, we're hanging in there. This is the, you know, we're getting into that, the flats of the bear market, which is always boring. And it's like, oh my God, one more day of this crap is moving sideways and down and slightly up. And then you get the BART stuff going on. It is just also tiresome. We don't need Bitcoiners suing other Bitcoiners. Could you wait? Could you get in a room with each other and arbitrate a waiting period? Please, because this kind of bullshit, I don't want to hear about it. And I don't want anybody else to hear about it either. Ingo with 300 sats says, great show as always. I hope it's a great show. I really do. I hope I'm bringing you guys value. Dirty Jersey whore and everybody who's ever boosted me apparently find some good value here. I want to continue to bring you that value. Please tell your friends about it. Give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because that always helps. Help me stay in the top 10 of the Fountain Charts because even though that's just Fountain App and their charts and it doesn't reflect the, the spread of anything else, it's a discovery tool. And if I can get discovered by more and more people, 
then my ability to have longevity doing this for you remains high. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Uh, I Okay, I admit it. And, and, and I made it known when I sent the note on Noster out yesterday, but I was playing around with ChatGPT and said, hey, you know what? Could you make some, write some ad copy for the Bitcoin and podcast? And oh my God, you should have seen the first thing that it came up with. Not only was it like two pages long, it was like shit coin corner. Oh my God, it was so awful. It took me only 10 minutes to work with ChatGPT to get this thing down to where it looks like this. Stay informed with the Bitcoin and podcast, your essential daily news source on Bitcoin. Join David Bennett, me, as he delivers, I deliver the most up-to-date and insightful coverage of the Bitcoin landscape every weekday. Stay informed about critical developments, market trends, and key happenings in Bitcoin. Subscribe to the Bitcoin and podcast on any podcasting app today and be made aware of what's happening in the world of Bitcoin. It's the news you can use. Hey, not bad. I mean, it's marketing copy, man, or ad copy. What are you going to do when you actually tell GPT, write me ad copy? I think that that was, let me see what the, the original prompt was. Let me go back up here. I think I've still got it up. And it took, yeah, I was, I played around with this for a lot yesterday. Uh, I said, please write me advertising copy for the Bitcoin and podcast. That's what, that's the prompt. And it wrote shit like, gain valuable knowledge from industry experts, thought leaders, and visionaries who are shaping the future of blockchain technology. Our diverse range of guests will provide you blah, 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 blah. I mean, and it's like, there's so much more shit coins, shit coinery stuff in here. Like uh, from exploring the impact of cryptocurrencies on traditional finance to unraveling the mysteries of blockchain technology. Our discussion will keep you hooked from start to finish. I mean, I had to really, I had to do stuff like this. I, 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 the, after all that, and that's like two pages worth of copy. Nobody wants to read two pages worth of fucking ad copy. Come on. I say, can you make this shorter, like a single paragraph with no numbered points? And then I, I, and then I have to correct it. These are my corrections. Do not say cryptocurrency. Please use the term Bitcoin only. And then it said, join our hosts. So I said, there is only one host and it corrected it. Uh, then I go on to say the Bitcoin and podcast is a new show about Bitcoin. I read the daily news live every day. And then it gave me another copy. I didn't like that. So I said less exuberance and more, persu more persuasive, please. It, uh, stuff like this. Was it replace expert host with David Bennett. And it did it. Replace the Bitcoin ecosystem with Bitcoin. And it did it. Delete our knowledgeable host. Because <laughs> I just... I. I just, that kind of, I just don't like that kind of stuff. Then I said, delete, gain a competitive edge, right? Because it was like, where did, where did it say that? Yeah, so here's a sentence in the middle of, of one of the modified copies says, gain a competitive edge by staying informed about critical developments and market trends. Are you really going to gain a competitive edge? There's a difference between competitive edge and not allowing yourself to get run over by a freight train because you didn't see it coming. Those are two different things. I'm here for the latter. I don't want you to get running over by a train because you didn't see it coming. 
competitive edge? What are you gonna, what am I gonna tell you to do? Go on cracking and trade shit coins? No. So I had to say delete gain competitive edge. I also say replace every day with every weekday. I said replace preferred platform with any podcasting app and on and on and on and on and on. And it just refined and refined and refined and refined until I got to what I just read you. Don't sleep on this stuff. Don't. If you sleep on AI and being able to use the tools or at least learn how to use the tools, I, I, I promise you I'm not going to just inundate this show with AI responses. At, I'm just not going to do that. But I am going to use ChatGPT. I'm going to try to figure out where can it best be used? Because here's the thing. This thought that everybody's going to lose their job because AI is going to do it all for us. How's AI going to know what needs to be done? It, It won't. It's like a firearm or an axe or a guitar for that matter. A guitar isn't just going to sit around and play itself. Now, I guess I could say, hey, AI, play, you know, play music or manufacture music while I'm in bed. And it does that. But I needed to tell it to do that. I needed to set it up to do that. And even if it just went, there was somebody who said, I, you know, I'm just going to set it and forget it. And 15 years later, you know, you go back and you look and see what AI has, has done. What, how much music are you, uh, generative AI music are you going to wade through? No, my point is, is that somebody's got to drive the tool, whether it's a jackhammer, a shovel, a guitar, the tools that I'm using to record this podcast, all of it needs to be driven, driven by humans. That's the only honest way to interact with something like ChatGPT or MidJourney AI or any of these things. It's humans driving it to do something, to produce something. I don't think that that's bad. I do think jobs will be lost, but those jobs will be lost by the people who refuse to figure this stuff out, refuse to try to use it, refuse to to sit with it for 10 minutes and coach it to get it to massage something from absolute shit coinery to something that I didn't mind reading to you on the air. And by the way, NVIDIA, their stock price, dude, well, let's, let's talk about it. This is all about AI anyway. Cointelegraph, Savannah Fortis, NVIDIA AI chip value skyrockets amid AI development boom. It's not going away. The race to develop artificial intelligence continues as manufacturers from around the world scramble to obtain the chips to power the technology. On May the 24th, NVIDIA released its second quarter revenue forecast, which came in at 50% above market expectations, according to a Reuters report. Moreover, the company's shares increased by nearly 28%, reaching an all-time high stock price of $391.50. NVIDIA stock market value topped $950 billion, pushing the company far ahead of the world's most valuable chip maker. Other chip developers include Google, Intel, Amazon, and Apple. According to a follow-up report, NVIDIA's results sparked a rally for any other AI-related company, which added nearly $100 billion to the market in a day. Along with NVIDIA and other big tech companies, Microsoft recently said it's developing its own AI chip 
to power AI applications for open AI and internal projects. In April, Elon Musk, <coughs> excuse me, reportedly bought thousands of general processing units from an upcoming Twitter AI project, according to a source close with the matter for an upcoming Twitter AI project, not from. On the other hand, in China, developers are finding ways to work around sanctions banning the latest version of NVIDIA chips from being obtained in the local market. Chinese companies and developers are studying methods to develop AI with weaker semiconductors and combinations of various chips as a solution. While some experiments were said to be promising, developers currently only have access to chips that can only support small-scale AI models, such as the NVIDIA chips A800 and H800. Again, if you're sleeping on this, you need to wake up. You have to wake up. It's not going away. With these kind of profits, 50% over expectations for NVIDIA on a quarter? Unheard of unheard of even the i don't even think the mining boom of gpu mining caused nvidia's expected um revenue to be completely crushed by 50 percent. holy shit these guys are going to be cranking out these chips in that that little new that little blurb at the very end about china trying to figure out how to make more with less that's a scary thought because they're going to do it. They're going to figure out how to make really high quality AI models that exist on chips that cost 10% of what NVIDIA's chips cost. And that's going to fuel the fire even more. It's we're, you can't, you can't sleep on this. Even if all you do is go to chat GPT-4 and type in a prompt, and then use the, when it gives you the result, type in another prompt that, mod, that somehow has a modification of what ChatGPT gave you. This is active training. That's what I was trying to describe at the first part of this section of the show. What I started out with, what I came back with, because it's not just one prompt, one response. I can have ChatGPT continuously refine the same thing over and over and over again until I get it massaged into something that I think is valuable. The very first thing that it came up with, not valuable for me at all. The last thing it came up with, kind of valuable. 10 minutes, people. 10 minutes. It's almost like not only was I the editor right? But I was like the editor that you hate. The editor that says, oh, you know, this language doesn't sound so good. Or, yeah, I'm not really as much about grammar as I am about, as I am about content and the direction your content's going. I am like, I don't do that to other people, but I definitely do that to myself. And I don't mind doing it to chat GPT-4. And that's the kind of editor that if that editor is good at what they do with modifying content, talking about voice and all that kind of stuff, if you're good at it, you may be the last guy on the chopping block. You may not ever see the chopping block. In fact, you may get promoted because you're the only guy that took the time to work with this technology and figure it out instead of being scared of it and running as fast, running away from it as fast as you possibly can. Don't do that shit. Now, let's get into some politics. 
And Ron DeSantis, oh my God, Ron DeSantis tells Elon Musk that Bitcoin will die if Joe Biden is reelected. Jesus. Decrypt.co, Andre Boganski. Elon Musk's heart-to-heart with Republican presidential nominee and Florida governor Ron DeSantis culminated with a focus on digital assets touching on Bitcoin and the digital dollar with a Dogecoin reference thrown in for good measure. The conversation between Musk and DeSantis, which was moderated by entrepreneur David Sachs, didn't achieve liftoff until more than 30 minutes after its scheduled start time with hundreds of thousands of Twitter users finding their apps crashing and the audio stream glitching. But the chat eventually got underway, and toward the talk's tail end, DeSantis leaned into his position as an advocate of crypto's largest coin. That's all you need to know from this story. He's, we are single-issue voters at this point. While that may change in the future, we are single-issue voters right now. And Ron DeSantis, as well as Robert Kennedy Jr., are using that and leveraging us to their advantage. I don't believe either one of these jokers give shit one about Bitcoin at all. Yet what's going to happen? There's going to be many people, whether they're Bitcoiners or not, who are going to vote for these guys just because of this issue. Ron DeSantis saw what Robert Kennedy was doing. He knows that Robert Kennedy is definitely going to be an underdog in his own Democratic Party. Ron DeSantis, he, if for whatever reason, Trump is in this mix when it comes to the Republican nomination, DeSantis has got him by the leveraging of a single-issue voter block, and that's Bitcoiners, because Trump has stated several times that he doesn't like Bitcoin. He doesn't like the whole digital asset class. He thinks the dollar, that's what he thinks. So Ron DeSantis just rocketed above Trump, and he's probably going to take away any Republican voter that was going to switch to the Democratic Party because Kennedy likes Bitcoin. That's the way the game is played. I don't believe, I believe Kennedy believes more in Bitcoin than Ron DeSantis ever will. I believe that, but I don't know if it's true. I just have to rock it back down to my initial position that neither one of these guys actually care about Bitcoin at all. Now, let's see, what is this one? Uh, No, we're not going to do that one. And I'm not going to do that one. We're going to go to the very end. Du Quan's detention in Montenegro has been extended after a high court decision to revoke his bail. He's not getting out on bail anymore. Coindesk Sandali Handagama tells us more. Terraform Labs co-founder Du Quan will remain in detention while he faces charges of falsifying official documents in Montenegro after a request for bail was approved and later revoked, according to a court statement from Thursday. Although the basic court in the country's capital, Podgorica, had initially accepted a bail proposal from Kwan's lawyers, Bloomberg reported that a high court had annulled the decision yesterday on Wednesday. In a statement, the basic court confirmed to Coindesk the high court's decision and that it had received the agreed payment of 400,000 euros from Kwan on May the 17th. 
The high court decided against the bail approval after it found the basic court did not sufficiently assess the value of the defendant's property, saying the lower court could not accept the value of defendant's property based on their statements, but only concrete evidence that was in this instant not in the case files. Following the high court ruling, the basic court has decided to extend Duquan's detention, quote, in the renewed proceedings, the court will proceed according to the high court's ground for termination and after that make a decision based on the proposal of the defense counsel for the defendants to accept bail, the court said. Quan, along with former Terra executive Han Chang-jun, will be due in court for their next hearing on June the 16th. The United States and South Korea have requested Quan's extradition from Montenegrin authorities to face criminal charges over the collapse of Terraform Labs in May of last year. So his bail has been revoked. And Duquan's going to continue to cool his heels in a Montenegro jail cell. And honestly, he deserves no, you know, he deserves no less. I mean, the guy is a freaking scammer and he took a lot of people to the bank. A lot of people who couldn't afford to be taken to the bank by somebody who could afford pretty much anything he wanted to do, well, at least until he got thrown in the slammer. But I screw him. I don't care at this point. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Although I find it odd that the court didn't properly assess how much property he owned and if it was actually verifiable. Even courts have a problem with trusting and not verifying. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says, jokes, I was kidnapped by mimes once. They did unspeakable things to me. <laughs> All right. Um, once again, my general warning, do not sleep on artificial intelligence, whether you like it or not. It's not going away. Don't sleep on the fact that OPEC Plus may pull the plug on all the short-selling bears out there in the oil markets, and that's That'll, I mean, that'll be good for, you know, oil revenues, but it won't be good for the price of gas at the pump. It's a clown show out there. We got Ron DeSantis easily overpowering the position of Robert Kennedy and Donald Trump all in one fell swoop by basically leveraging us poor saps over here in Bitcoin as we go through the remainder of this bear market. It's just all on fire. It's just all on fire. I don't know what else to say about, about that. Other than that, it's extremely important to be careful, but it's even more important to stay, stay the course. I mean, in everything, in, in trying to remain happy every single day, try to find one thing today that you can smile about and then try to remember that thing for the rest of the day. Hug your children, kiss your wife, tell them all that you love them. Understand that your family is your greatest asset. And if you don't have a family yet, then you are your greatest asset. Train up, train hard, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.